Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends, the Jewish religion is in the season right now of its high holy days, religious observances that are required by the Jewish law in the 23rd chapter of Leviticus. You may have heard of these holy days. Rosh Hashanah has recently taken place. Later in October is Sukkot, the festival of tabernacles. This week, observant Jews will commemorate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which begins at sundown this Friday and continues until sundown on Saturday. Jews reckon that the day begins at sundown. You may recall the first page of the Bible that says things like, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. So Friday, sunset, begins the Day of Atonement, the day when Jews turn to God for the forgiveness of sins. The, our English word atonement literally means at one meant to be at one. And to be at one with God for both Christians and Jews requires us to turn from our sins and turn to God who is merciful and abounding in steadfast love, like the psalm said. The similar event that we have in Christianity is the season of Lent and Ash Wednesday in particular. In the final hours of Yom Kippur, this Saturday, all around the world, the Jewish people will read the book of the prophet Jonah. By coincidence, this morning, we are reading from the prophet Jonah. We are making our way through selections from Matthew's gospel this year. The Jesus that we meet in Matthew's gospel has a keen way of confronting us with the spiritual challenges of following Jesus Christ. Ever since the fifth chapter, way back, when Jesus said these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew's gospel is full of teachings and parables that take us into poverty of spirit, not a destination that we might choose for ourselves, but the vastness of God and the vastness of God's mercy relativizes our perspective. For at least a hundred years, in Baptist churches across America, the goal of most Baptist sermons was to lead people to a climactic moment when they could sing, Just As I Am, without one plea, something Baptists refer to as the altar call. Just as I am without one plea, poverty of spirit, in the face of God's majesty, and God's mercy and God's generosity. And so on this pathway of being poor in spirit, Matthew brings us today to Jesus' parable of the workers in the vineyard. Some people begin work at sunrise. 
They are joined by others at 9 a.m., the story goes on, and still more at noon, and even more at 3 p.m., and even more get hired at 5 p.m., pretty close to quitting time. And at sundown, everybody gets the same wage. The people who started work at 6 a.m. and worked a 12-hour day get the same pay as the ones who were hired at 5 p.m. and worked only one hour. Unfair! This parable, this parable, only occurs in Matthew's gospel. Luke's gospel is the only gospel that has the parable of the prodigal son, two sons, one stays on the farm with dad and works hard, the other heads off to Vegas and blows his, his inheritance. But in the end, the father loves both of his sons. Both today's parable in Matthew and the more famous prodigal son parable in Luke invite us to imagine the situation in which we are faithful, we stay true, we stay home and take care of mama, we go to church and give our tithes, we keep our insurance payments up to date, we cut carbs, we put the recyclables in the recycle bin. We do the right thing, the responsible thing, and then God extends his love and his blessing to some lackadaisical, self-centered, short-sighted fool. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me, yes. <laughs> do we like it? No. Is it fair? No. And the gospel writers know this at least Luke and certainly Matthew, they wrote down these parables of Jesus because they knew we would feel like this sometimes. There, there is a line in today's gospel when the all-day workers, the ones who were on the job at 6 a.m., they complain to the owner and he replies, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? It's my money. It's my vineyard. It's my enterprise. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? The word envious is a liberal translation. Jesus uses the expression, actually, um, evil eye. Are you envious because I am gener generous? The, the literal translation is, are you giving me the evil eye because I am good? If we are coming to God from that place, of spiritual poverty, just as I am without one plea, then we really can't plea for a special deal, can we? And we can't demand that God be gracious toward us and throw the book at somebody else. The book of Jonah poses the same questions, but with a much more wicked sense of humor. In today's first reading, God just plainly says to Jonah, twice he actually says, just in a little short reading, twice he says, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah says, yes, it's right for me to be angry. Hell yes, angry enough to die. Our reading today, our reading today is from the end of Jonah. The Jews who go to Yom Kippur services on Saturday will get the whole story, all 48 verses of it. The most famous character in Jonah is the whale, the, the fish, which is a very memorable 
accessory to the story. But for the people who created the Bible, the most important character was the city of Nineveh. It was, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh looms large over the book of the prophet Isaiah. Nineveh is the centerpiece of the book of the prophet Nahum. And it is referenced elsewhere. For the Jewish people, the nor their northern kingdom fell to Assyria, to Nineveh. The so-called ten lost tribes of Israel were gobbled up by Nineveh and the empire that Nineveh signified. So Nineveh is bigger than the whale, at least in the minds of the people who first recorded the story of Jonah. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. And the whale got involved in the retrieval of Jonah after Jonah went as quickly as he could in the opposite direction to the border of civilization in the west. God said go northeast. Jonah went due west to the end of the earth, as it was known. So this, this story, the, the, 48, the 48 verses of Jonah are comically over the top. Jonah is sent by God to the worst city in the worst empire of his people's worst enemy with a message that they should repent. And they do. So God decides not to destroy the city. And Jonah has heartburn over the issue. For the same reason that the guys in our gospel reading have heartburn, he's mad that God's love and mercy extends to people that he doesn't think deserve it. Now, if, if you wanted to have some fun, you can go and read what Islam, the Quran, says about Jonah. The, the Quran has all the same wonderful details with the giant fish, with the three days in the fish. In Islam, this is kind of cute, Jonah is sick when he comes out of the fish. That makes sense to me. I haven't ever been vomited up by a fish. but. <laughs> and so in Islam, the vine that is in our first story reading today was sent to cover Jonah while he recovered from being vomited up by the fish. So that part is a bit different. And the Muslims built a mosque at Nineveh that supposedly contained the tomb of Jonah. And it was destroyed by ISIS three years ago. I don't know if the tomb really could have contained Jonah. His career would have preceded Muhammad and the Quran by 1,300 years. But it's an interesting footnote to the Jonah story and a testimony to the enduring popularity of the story of Jonah across all three Abrahamic religions. The Old Testament book of Jonah reveals God's concern and mercy even for people who do not know him. There are the 120,000 people in Nineveh, the out-and-out -out enemies of Israel. But in the earlier part of the story, 
the sailors who were transporting Jonah were also pagans who turned to the God of Israel, and he spared them. God is merciful to all of them. And then in the story, there are the plants and the animals, the giant fish that everybody knows about, but the vine that grows and then dies, and then the cattle who in the story of Jonah also repent. The cattle, the cows, put on sackcloth and ashes, and the cows fast in repentance. Who knows, the anonymous king of Nineveh says. Who knows? God may change his mind. And the very last two words of the book, many animals. It comes back to the creation. You are concerned about the bush, God says to Jonah, for which you, you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? In Jonah, the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, God has a high regard for what we would call non-believers, even non-believers who are our enemies. And God has a high regard for cattle. And God's project of mercy and justice extends to all of it, everything he made. When Jonah is awakened by the sailors in the first chapter, they ask him who he is and he confesses his faith. I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's Jonah's self-understanding of what it means to be Jewish. Right in the middle of a giant storm at sea, Jonah testifies, I worship the one who made all of this. You and I are blessed to be workers in God's vineyard. God has made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ that is unique to us Christians and that opens us to all of God's goodness and eternal joy. We are special, but we are not that special. The work of the vineyard extends to all others, even the people we do not respect, even the people we hate. The work of this vineyard extends to the creation that God has made, heaven, earth, and sea, animals, fish, and plants. You and I, through Christ, are cherished and saved, and we are told we must remain poor in spirit, just as I am without one plea. God's amazing yes to you and to me is also a yes to the whole world out there. And the scriptures today tell us that our attitude should reflect that. Yom Kippur, day of atonement, at one meant, so that all may be one. 
The vision of the book of Jonah is that God's mercy will bring shalom to the entirety of creation. Amen.